Uh, the reading is from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10, and it's on page 1218 in the Church Bibles. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Lucy. Well, we're in uh, the middle of a summer series which we've called the Christian Portrait Gallery. And we've been looking at various pictures that are used to describe uh, what Christians are like. And this morning we come to one of the most beautiful and intriguing pictures. And it might be quite hard for us to get a handle on for a variety of reasons, but when we see the significance of it, it is, I think, mind-blowing, really mind-blowing. And, but I want to start with this question. What do unbelievers think and say about God's Son, Jesus, and Christians? Just have a chat to yourselves. You were chatting to yourselves quite happily a moment ago and before the service. Just have a chat with your neighbor. What do unbelievers think and say about God's Son, Jesus, and Christians, you're meeting together this morning, the rest of the world isn't. Okay, well, I won't have any feedback on that, but um, I thought that what we'd do is just see what last week's Sunday Times thinks about Jesus. Let's just have a look. Now, here's the Sunday Times from last week. So one of our leading Sunday papers, and uh, on the front page, remember that Jesus is God's Son. God the Father has sent His Son into this world to bring people back to Himself. Let's just see, Sunday Times, so what's it say, thinking about Jesus? On the front page, tougher Ayla results, grading, vital, that kind of thing. Page two, anything about Jesus? No, Je- no. We'll tackle the Aussies on their home turf, no worries. Football, Jesus, no. Okay, so that's the new sex. Business and money. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about business and money. Anything about Jesus? Here, God's son. You'd have thought it'd be really significant, wouldn't you? No. Okay, uh, what about our home? Possessions. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about home and possessions, interestingly. Sunday time. Cash in the attic. Mm, Okay. Uh, No, nothing about Jesus there. Style. Why are you laughing at me? (laughs) A feel for every you. So this is all about 
It's all about our, our kind of identity, isn't it? You know, look at that. Wouldn't you like to look like that? But I mean, Jesus has got a lot to say about who we are, who we should be. But no, it's all about clothes and handbags. Don't need one of them. Peaky blinder hats. I mean, as you, actually, it, it just came out of the wrapper. I haven't even looked at it. All right? So not, you know, Jesus got, you know, to the world, Jesus got nothing to say about who we are. And then sport. No, Jesus hasn't got nothing. No, that's what the world thinks, isn't it, of Jesus, God's son? It's extraordinary, isn't it? But not extraordinary. We're looking at this fantastic letter of one Peter. And it's Peter writing to Christians all over what's modern-day Turkey. He calls them God's exiles. And he wants to remind them of who they are and why they're here, even in the midst of extraordinary suffering. Now, we don't experience a lot of suffering. Really, it's just indifference, isn't it? Jesus is utterly irrelevant now. But of course, lots of our brothers and sisters do experience really fierce persecution. And let me say, in our own individual ways, we may be fit, made to feel very small and marginalized. The, the one Christian in the school, you know, the few Christians at university. Harry, just be careful I don't step on him. He's, he's fine, but shout at me if I, because that would be, yeah, that, that, that would not be good if I stepped on him. All right, be a safeguarding issue, I think. Um, but here we go, here we go. You see, what I want to show in this passage, before we get to the wonderful bit about us being living stones, is whose verdict or thoughts matter about who Jesus is and Christians. So let's just have a look at this passage, if you've got it open. All right, whose verdict matters? So here's, the, here's humans' verdict about Jesus. Let's just look at this. Let's run through this. Humans' verdict about God's son, Jesus. He's rejected Verse 4, look at this. As you come to him, the living stone, that is Jesus, rejected by humans. That's extraordinary, isn't it? That Jesus, God's son, who's sent into this world, should be rejected by humans. But then we're all sinners, aren't we? And the great sin is to not let God rule over us through his son, Jesus, but rejected. Uh, and it comes again in verse 7. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected, we're moving into this image of stones and buildings, has become the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected, he's rejected, verse 7. If we read through this letter of 1 Peter, we find lots about Jesus suffering, being insulted, chapter 2, verse 23, when they hurled insults at him. This is God's son. And in our passage, it talks about verse 7. All right? Now, to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders reject has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. 
very serious, isn't it? But what I want to see in this passage is that there are, there are a, a verdict, two verdicts going on, and they're the verdicts that really matter, all right? And there's the world's verdict about Jesus and about Christians. So let's just look at God's verdict about who his son is. All right, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but here's the verdict that matters, isn't it? Here's the verdict that matters, but chosen by God and precious to him. It's fantastic. So that God the Father's verdict is the one that matters in the court of human opinion. Let's look at what more. And it talks about how God lays a precious cornerstone. Verse 6, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, Zion being Jerusalem, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So God lays the Lord Jesus Christ, this living stone, his chosen and precious cornerstone, you know, this is the basis of a new building, the most important building in all the world for all eternity. And, uh, of course, this is all picking up from the Old Testament, the Old Testament temple where God had said he would dwell with his people. And here is uh, the cornerstone. It's just a depiction of a cornerstone, which was the most important cornerstone of which they would build the whole building and it would be held together, so to speak, by that cornerstone. So here is predictions in the Old Testament about God coming uh, God sending his living stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, to build the most significant building, the most important building in all the world. And verse 7 talks about, now to those who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders reject has become the cornerstone. That quote from Psalm 118 is often used in the New Testament about the resurrection so though the Lord Jesus Christ is rejected, of course, God the Father says, no, he's my son who died on the cross for sins and I'm going to raise him to life and he will become the cornerstone of the new temple, the spiritual house that I'm now building. That's nearly often used about the resurrection. So he's become a living stone the cornerstone. And as uh, we've already seen, as I pointed out, Jesus, this stone, causes unbelievers to stumble and fall and, verse 6, to be put to shame. The one who trusts in him, verse 6, will never be put to shame. Of course, the implication of that is that all those who don't trust this Lord Jesus Christ will be put to shame. But if you're trusting him, you'll never be put to shame. So as we think, as we think, whose verdict matters? It's God the Father's verdict about Jesus that matters. 
We're going to sing, and then we'll see what God, God has to say about us Christians and the significance of that. Okay, let's think again. Uh, we're working our way into this fantastic image of us being living stones. But on my screen, if I could have my screen up again. Again, whose verdict matters about Christians? Whose verdict matters about Christians? The church, those who believe in Jesus. Let's have a think about what it says in 1 Peter about the human's verdict about the church. And in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, it talks about how Christians are going to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So that is what I call, if you like, uh, unjust suffering, if you like, when we get ill. But quite clearly, for those who Peter is writing to, they are under great pressure for following the Lord Jesus Christ. Like we might be individually in our individual situations. There are insults. This letter talks about insults for Christians, threats for Christians, a fiery ordeal in chapter 4 that they're going through. And uh, it runs all the way through this letter, suffering as a Christian, but Peter says, do not be ashamed, because that's what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember God the Father's verdict on him, and Peter wants to see God's verdict about Christians as they trust Jesus, the living stone. Talks about Christians being rejected. You might have faced rejection for being uh, a Christian. But here again, let's just look in this passage about what it says about God's verdict on Christians, those who've come to Jesus, the living stone, and trusted him. Well, there you are. There's our image. Verse 5. You also, like living stones. I wonder how that makes you feel this morning, that you're living stones. I was thinking, uh, what visual aid do I need, right, for this talk? Here you are. The living stones. Because, of course, this building has no significance really. It's a great meeting place and occasionally is dry, getting drier, let me say. Keep encouraging Nigel. But here are the dead stones, aren't they, of this building? But you, as you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, are the living stones. Here is the visual aid, the living stones, as we're connected to the living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's building a new house, no longer an Old Testament temple. That's all gone. And indeed, just as we go through this, I can't look at everything, but notice how all the Old Testament uh, language, all those about those things in the Old Testament now applied to the church. They're fulfilled in Christ and his church. So it's his spiritual house. Verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And, and Peter just if you like, mixes all these metaphors together, all these pictures together, all these things from the Old Testament. Living stones, spiritual house, but he then says, look, to be a holy priesthood. And lower down, in verse 9, it talks about us being a royal priesthood. A group of people set aside, set aside holy for the king, the King Jesus, 
to be his priest. No longer any special priests as there were in the Old Testament. Everybody, every Christian is a priest serving in this spiritual house. His chosen people, verse 9. But you, you Christians, these scattered uh, Christians all over Turkey, under great pressure, feeling their poss- possibly feeling they're nobodies. But you're a chosen people. His holy nation, taking all the stuff from Israel, fulfilled in Christ. It doesn't go straight to the church. It's fulfilled in Christ, Christ and his church. You're now the holy nation. Look at this, verse 9. God's special possession. It's absolutely extraordinary that Peter's, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, can see this great shift that's taking, that all that Old Testament stuff is now fulfilled in Christ and his church. So whose verdict matters? Do you know the cricket club this morning are having bacon butties and uh, watching the football? They didn't consult God whether that was a good idea. It's irrelevant, isn't it? They think it's irrelevant. They're not in church either. But you see, God the Father's verdict about Jesus and about Christians matter. We long, don't they, that all these unbelievers no longer stumble and fall. But you see, it's to build the confidence of Christians that Peter is writing. And it's God the Father's verdict about Christians that matter. Let's have a little building project. Uh, Luke and uh, Gareth, you want to come up here? And I've got some building bricks here, and it's, it's um, competitive, all right? So you're around there, Luke, you're here, Gareth. And you've got one minute to build the most impressive building. You've only got 15 bricks, all right? And they're going to judge, all right, what the most impressive building is, all right? Do you, th- do you reckon you can do it in a minute? Can I destroy his? No, you, ca- no, no, you can't do that kind of thing. All right? Okay, so off you go. All right? So, you've got one minute. Oh! Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. What did you say? Did you say that's rubbish? You're meant to build your son up. (laughs) Okay, let's have a show of hands. Who thinks Luke's is the best? Yes, well, oh, <laughs> Gareth. What about Gareth's? Just, yeah, I think Gareth just won it, but well done, all right? Now, uh, we are involved in this extraordinary building project that God is doing as Living Stones. So I want us to think... Uh, as we 
think about this idea of living stones. Who are we as Christians? I mean, there's so much stuff. I mean, you go through the paper, and it's wanting uh, to present us with an identity which the world thinks really matters. But the identity that really matters, who we are, comes from the God who's made us and, of course, the God who saved us and what God is doing in us and through us. And uh, here we are. We are living stones in God's spiritual house. What an extraordinary significance that would be. And uh, the people Peter is writing to, there would be some Jews, but many Gentiles, many non-Jews... And they are now part of this spiritual house that God is building. And uh, as living stones, of course, the very, as it clearly says uh, in 1 Peter, as, as we look at uh, 1 Peter, uh, you see that just as the Son is chosen and precious, so are God's people as living stones. A chosen people, verse 9, God's special possession. So he's the living stone, the cornerstone on which this spiritual house is being built. We are living stones, chosen and special. What an identity, you see? It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter if I don't have a male handbag or whatever. Who am I? I'm a living stone. And we are living stones together, chosen and precious. What is God doing to us. Uh, again, an extraordinary image, isn't it, what it says? That verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. God is building us into this spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Remember that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament temple was where God said he would dwell, he would live. Where is God living today? In the spiritual house that is Trinity and every other local church is part of the universal church. But it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? That God is living in us and at work in us and building us together. Building us together as his spiritual house. What a privilege that is. I mean, the world may be watching football, but this is of much greater significance, isn't it? Please don't get me wrong. Football is a good gift of God. There's a little image of Jesus, the chosen, precious cornerstone, and the Father building the spiritual stones together into his church, his spiritual house. Now, one or two implications of that. Here are these buildings that uh, the Crispins put together. Um, we're being built together. It'd be a very odd building, was, wouldn't it, that God was doing, where he put uh, uh, one here and uh, one here, all right, and one here, okay, and one here. It wouldn't be a building, would it? Now, of course, Christians go out into the world, and we'll hear about uh, that, um, in a moment, and next week, as we think about another image of us being aliens and exiles in this world. But it wouldn't be much of a building, would it? 
Now, interestingly, when I was a curate at Seven Oaks, we had an eight o'clock Holy Communion. And uh, St. Nick's Seven Oaks was a huge parish church. And uh, the eight o'clockers would come in and they would all sit as far apart from each other as possible. So scattered around this building would be individual Christians who clearly didn't really want to be built together as a spiritual house, even though that's the reality of what you know, God was trying to do with them. But they demonstrated that they weren't by sitting as far apart from people as possible. But of course the idea is when we meet together, here's the significance of you know, this great image that we have as living stones being built together. That we are all together. That's why our all together times are so important. It's very odd, I think, when people, you know, uh, a lot of ministers will say this, let me say, that people will come to church one Sunday in three and think they're regular. Well, they are regular one Sunday in three, but that's not frequent. And that's not really God building us together. And actually, in 1 Peter, uh, one of the major ways that this works out is in this way, where he talks about loving one another deeply. And of course, you can't love one another deeply if you're scattered all over the place and you never actually, if you like, meet together and interact together. Now, of course, when we go out into the world, as we're going to be reminded in 1 Peter, of course, we are all over the place, scattered, doing our um, responsibilities and so on. But love one another deeply. What a great opportunity there is to do that after the service. And then what is God's purpose for living stones in his spiritual house? Again, uh, a wonderful thing to look at in terms of uh, what it is. Where's my Bible? Just look at this. There's two things, again, picking up from the Old Testament. All right, we're living stones being built into verse 5 into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So no special priesthood now. We're all priests offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that means, as Romans says in Romans 12, the whole of our lives are offered as a spiritual sacrifice to God. We're offering our whole lives, everything about us. But those sacrifices, of course, in the Old Testament of animals to bring forgiveness and to make peace with God and make peace with one another, the spiritual sacrifices now are everything we're doing as Christians, right? as we serve him with our whole lives. And then, verse 5, uh, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What an extraordinary, what a wonderful purpose that is this week. I used to often like the way it was sometimes that you may declare the excellences of him, of God, who's called you out of darkness. So, again, obviously we're doing that uh, now as we meet together. But actually our whole purpose as we go out into the world is to say how good God is and how gracious God is. And I don't, it, it's not saying that we've got to, you know, go around praising God all the time. But actually in our conversation, we say, God is great. My God is good. He's gracious. It should be part and parcel of who we are and what we say 
right? But of course, supremely as we come together, people see us as this spiritual house marked out by love, deep love for one another. So what a glorious picture that is of living stones being built into a spiritual house. Let's pray. Father, again, there is so much here, a rich pasture to graze on as your sheep through this week. Help us to come back to this passage to meditate further. Help us to see next week how we are foreigners and exiles passing through. But what an extraordinary privilege there is now that you are building us together as your spiritual house in which you dwell, in which you live, and in which we offer ourselves as spiritual sacrifices serving you. And we declare your praises. We declare how good you are, how gracious you are, how glorious you are. So Father, please, where we're struggling as Christians, help us to see who we are, chosen and precious, living stones. Help us not to measure ourselves by what the world says, but by what you say, your verdict. And please help us to fulfill all our responsibilities as your spiritual house, living stones in your spiritual house. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.